Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined by my co-host, Nick Pollock. Nick, uh, good job hosting uh, the last episode of the podcast. I was very happy with that in my absence. Not going to lie, I think I might be a better host than you, but we'll, we'll let the people decide that. So before the podcast, I told Nick I was going to compliment him, and apparently that's what he was like stirring up in his brain. So thank you, Nick. Uh, yeah. As you heard on the last edition of the pod, we're going through Penn State's schedule this year and kind of just breaking down game by game what we can expect. Last episode of the pod uh, was Akron and Pitt, and as Nick mentioned, we want to try and get people on who know these programs a little bit. We didn't for Akron because we couldn't go out and find uh, an Akron expert, shockingly enough. And then we didn't for Pitt because we didn't want to talk to anyone for we, Pitt. We also didn't try very hard to find an Akron expert, to be fair. I, I sent one person an email, and then if that didn't work out. But neither here nor there. Uh, so, yeah, on this edition of the podcast, we're talking about Georgia State. Uh, which is one of the weirdest games on Penn State's schedule. It is on September 16th. It is a home night game in Happy Valley. Kicks off at 7.30 on BTN. And we're just going to talk about Georgia State a little bit, answer a couple fun questions, uh, and then move on to discuss Iowa. We have guests for both. First up for Georgia State, we have my man Robbie Callum from Uprock Sports. Robbie, what's going on? How's it going, gentlemen? Uh, yes, I believe I'm known as the foremost Georgia State authority on uh, on Twitter, which which doesn't say a whole lot, especially because I don't actually follow the program that much. But I went there. Yeah. I have a degree and a half from Georgia State University. Oh, damn. Uh, so go Panthers. Yeah. yeah. I, I They're mean... a football team. <laughs> yeah, looking through the list of uh, notable alums you guys have uh march madness hero rj hunter and ludicrous so i think i i mean you objectively Yo, what? have luda that's correct no. you you objectively oh. have a one-up on penn state there uh there's a poet named beth giles and i thought that was bear grills for a second but uh no and that actually doesn't make any sense because bear grills of course is not american uh so yeah let's dive into talking about this game I think the first thing we need to do is establish why the hell this is happening. Uh, and Nick, I'm going to have you answer this because there is a recruiting tie to this. You're a recruiting guy. So just simple enough. Why is this game happening? So as many people know, Penn State uh, was very much a part of the satellite camp fad and still is. They still have some. Uh, just did one with Northern Illinois not too long ago, but uh one of the things that the staff was doing was uh, heading down to schools like Old Dominion and Georgia State to do satellite camps. And uh, when they went down, they've done Georgia State, I think, twice in the last um, however many years. I don't think it's been three times. I think it's been twice. Um, but they've gone down there and done some camps. And from what I can remember, I I don't think they've had any commits directly come from that camp, like guys they discovered there. Grant Haley, possibly, but I think he may have predated um, when they did those satellite camps. But the one name that pops out is Trey Nixon, a four-star wide receiver from two classes ago. Um, didn't actually end up coming to Penn State, but um, Penn State was in his final group, and they were in it all the way till the end, and that was kind of their first real... Um, I guess, close to success story from those camps. But it, this game, Akron and Kent State and those kind of teams, they they find their way onto Penn State's schedule just because they've always been there and 
they kind of just kind of recycled through them. Um, but this game, I believe, is was just part of the deal um, with them agreeing to come down to that camp and agree- allowing them to use their campus. And um, this is just kind of like the payback for that. And the fact that they're doing it under the lights, I think, is really, really cool and a really cool experience for Georgia State. Um, uh, they'll they'll play other games under the lights, I'm sure, this year. Uh, most every team plays at least one. But for those kids, it's really... I mean, it's not really going to be much of an option for them while they're in college, at least to play in an environment like a night game in Beaver Stadium. And no, it won't be like an Ohio State or a Michigan um, hyped up crowd, but it's still going to be a night game early in the season against a not not a terrible team. They're a fun team. They almost beat Wisconsin last year. So there's it's going to be a really cool environment, especially for those guys visiting. And I'm I'm very, very proud um, to be a Penn State alum and right now when talking about that, that they're kind of giving that opportunity to those guys. You, you sound like Mac Brown while you're talking about this, talking about the Kiads and how cool of an opportunity it is for them. Well, maybe I am Mac Brown. I, I hope so. Mac Brown is Mac Brown rules. I mean, I've not, not made it a secret that my favorite college football announcers are the ones that are slowly slipping into senility. So him and Mike Patrick are just my dudes. So uh, yeah. Uh, Nick, I believe we have a couple questions, and Robbie, as uh, the internet's foremost Georgia State expert, is in, he, he's the best person we got to answer these. So fire away. Indeed. So, Robbie, what do Penn State fans need to know about Georgia State? Uh, not an awful lot. They have a new coach, uh, Sean Elliott, former. In a room at South Carolina after Spurrier retired, former offensive line coach there. Um, Connor Manning is the quarterback. He uh, He's the one that kind of lit up uh, Wisconsin last year. Other than that, there's not a whole lot going on. Um, Georgia State last year was, was a team that lost a lot of games, lost a lot of games in kind of like ugly fashion, so they'll they kind of muck it up and will lose games by like 10 to 14 points a lot of times. So maybe this will be one of those kind of sneaky two, three touchdown games that feels a little closer than it should be. And if they catch lightning in the bottle, it's a Wisconsin game. I mean, that's, that's essentially what Georgia state did last year. They had uh, the Wisconsin game beat Georgia Southern, which is the only game that state fans really care about each year. It's just beat Georgia Southern, which they've done twice in a row and everybody's pleased. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the thing about it for, for Georgia State is every year that they've been in FBS, they played a road game against a monster opponent. Um, they played Alabama the first year. They played Oregon a couple years ago. They played Washington a couple years, a few years ago. They played Wisconsin last year. They got Tennessee next year. They got Auburn in a couple years. They got, I think 2019, the biggest one's NC State, which isn't huge. Somehow they got a home and home with North Carolina. Uh, <laughs> they got a home and home with Vander. They got a home and home with Vanderbilt, um, or maybe just a home game with North Carolina. I don't know. It's uh, very strange. Way. Uh, I know they have a home game with North Carolina. Let me look at this. Yeah, twenty twenty. Yeah, it's home and home 2021, 2022. Hell yeah. Uh, home and home with North Carolina. Home and home twenty twenty four, twenty twenty five with Vandy. So they're starting to get some some people coming to Atlanta, which isn't really surprising that they can get that because, as you mentioned, the reason 
Penn State has this game on the schedule is, is Cruton. Um, you come to Georgia State, coaches may come out a little early, do some Cruton. Um, that's what people do in Atlanta. That's what Nick Saban does on SEC Championship Week each year. He flies around his helicopter to different high schools. I've literally seen it. I've seen his helicopter at high schools. Whoa, 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 uh, whoa, whoa. Can, can, you, can, can you like describe that? Is there anything like branding wise special about? Nah, something? is it shaped it's, like an elephant? It should be. No, it's, it's just normal, normal as helicopter. He's, he does not have the swag copter. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's... Good old, good old someone with the swag copter. No. I was going to say... Uh, no, there, yeah, you'll, every every SC Championship week, there will be pictures floating around of uh, Saban's chopper inside some high school track. And, like, he's just, like, watching some five-star crew trying to get him in. Um, so, yeah, the only thing... Penn State fans really need to know about Georgia State is uh, they have a new coach and Connor Manning is marginally talented but not nearly as good as um, oh I'm spacing on his name from a couple years ago the one that led to the to the great Cure Bowl performance um, this is gonna bug me. <laughs> Hang on, we can find this. No, no, take all was, time. Was it another Manning? Was it? it was not. Yeah, this is uh, this is actually what Cooper Manning does. Yeah. Was it uh, Archie? Nah. Nick Arbuckle. Nick oh, Arbuckle. I remember Nick Arbuckle. Yeah. He threw for he threw for forty four hundred yards. I was gonna say there was. I remember there was one random like early season game between like Georgia State and Abilene Christian a few years ago. Where it was just like Bananas. the it, it was every perfect bad college football game where it was just quarterbacks chucking it and receivers coming down with it and I think Arbuckle ended with like four fifty and four or five touchdowns. It was awesome. I, I, yeah, I knew he, there, yeah. He was a beast. He was like the the only Georgia State like offensive player since uh that had a chance in the NFL since like since Albert Wilson. I thought you were gonna say just their only offensive player. No, Albert Wilson. Albert <laughs> Wilson's uh, made it made it with the Chiefs. That's our claim to fame at Georgia State. Is uh, they had one player that lasted like three years in the league. Not bad. Salute to Albert. Salute to Albert. Salute to Albert. Salute to Albert. So uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I mean, I think it's interesting that you point out that they do these like they, they do this one game a year against a big opponent. Uh, you know. Like you said, they're playing teams like Wisconsin, they're playing teams like Penn State, they're playing teams like Oregon, and they're going to all these places to play these games. I mean, if there is one thing that Georgia State won't be, it is probably scared going into this. Like, they're not going to, like, go in there and just be like, okay, we're here for a specific purpose. Like, they seem like, based on what you're saying, like, they're not going to be caught up in this moment, which, I mean, if that makes it... You, you know, if that makes it an entertaining football game, like, hell yeah, that's awesome. Of course, if Georgia State wins, that would be very bad, and I'd feel rather upset, but, <laughs> like... Do you remember Do you remember in NCAA football when you were recruiting and you could make promises to recruits? Yeah, absolutely. It's like all these teams' coaches promised kids from Atlanta that they would play one game. Like, they did the... one. Of, I think one of them was like, we'll play a game in your home state. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah. like they all did that. Yeah. Yeah, that would... uh. I would not be opposed to something like that as a as a way to get as many kids from Georgia to come to Penn State since Georgia is like awesome when it comes to recruiting talent. 
Let's talk about what Georgia State needs to do to win this football game. Um, I'm... Uh, how do I say this without sounding like a jerk? I I'm skeptical of their chances to win this game. Um, I'm not winning this game. You jerk. Yeah, I'll, I, go ahead. I'll, I'll say it for you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, their best, their best chance to win this game is to get Saquon extraordinarily drunk the night before to where he doesn't show up. <laughs> um, and maybe also kidnap the offensive line. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, maybe you... maybe get maybe get McSorley in there too. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I just don't see how they stop Barkley. Yeah, that's the thing. Is is like you're just Wisconsin last year wasn't a team that had a whole lot of pop. Like they were, they were a Wisconsin team, oh, you yes. know. But they're always a Wisconsin team. It's just a matter of whether they have a back that can be a breakout playmaker or not. To whether they win ten games or whether they win eight. Like that's just Wisconsin <laughs> football. Um, I don't see. I don't see any way Saquon doesn't run for two hundred if he gets the touches. It's just a matter of whether they're up big enough to rest him or not. Wow. Um, okay. Or, but uh, the other thing is, early in the season, might want to rack up some Heisman, some right. Heisman yardage against the Georgia State. I mean, like Georgia State's defense is horrible. They lost, I think, their top two tacklers off last year. They're just, they're just not going to be able to hold up. In, in in my estimation, they don't. They've never fared particularly well against dominant athletes in the past when they face them. That's why that's one of the reasons they were able to match up with Wisconsin the way they were is Wisconsin lacked that athlete that separates, you know, uh, the, the top teams from a middle of the road Sunbelt team. You know, I mean, that's just, that's what happens when you face an Alabama, when they faced Washington, when they faced Oregon, um, they're just getting dusted by these athletes. And, and that's something that, for last year, Wisconsin just didn't have – they just didn't have that back that could really pop. Um, I, I think that's that's not going to be the case in this game. I think Saquon will hit a couple home runs in this one, and I don't I don't know where Georgia State uh, can, get, can get, get enough – you know, can be disciplined enough to stay at home the entire time. He'll get a cutback or he'll get something – here, there, they're just not going to be good enough. Not going to be fast enough to contain him all day. Um, their their best, I mean, their best bet to compete is to try and do what they did to Wisconsin last year, which is keep everything in front of them. You know, that's what they Wisconsin. They kept everything in front of them and made really they made Wisconsin throw the football, which Wisconsin doesn't like to throw the football. Um, that's probably what they'll try to do against Penn State. You're going to see a lot of a lot of guys in the box to stop Squam, but again, I think there will be problems with over-pursuit, backside cuts that are available, and there's nobody better in college football right now than Saquon hitting those cutbacks. I mean, like, y'all see it regularly. Y'all know that. Um, I don't I don't see where they're especially competitive in this game. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just they're just going to load up the box and, and make Trace throw. Yeah, I mean... We, we've seen, I mean, we saw a few times teams try to use that strategy against Penn State. And uh, I mean, the best example is probably the Big Ten championship game. Like Wisconsin had 
you know, they came into that game with a pretty feared defensive front and one of the best secondaries in the country. They said, Trace McSorley, we want you to throw the ball. And then he went okay and just started closing his eyes and throwing the ball as far down the field as he possibly could. And it was awesome, and it worked. And uh, I would very much like it if that happened again. Uh, I don't think we need to ask Robbie what Penn State needs to do to win because I think he made Show up. Show up, okay. He made a very compelling case. Show up with... Show up with most of the starters. <laughs> that would be fun if, if like, you bring if you bring a majority of the starting roster. It, it would be fun if for games like this, where it's you know we'll pay you to, you know more or less we'll pay you to come lose to us. If like the opposing team got to pick two players on offense and defense who just could not play, and or yeah. they pick two players on offensive defense to play for them. Ooh, okay. And there's like one protective guy. Like, we just get very weird. Yeah. Yeah, like like it's uh like expansion drafts. Yeah. Where like there's a designated like Penn State would be like you can't have Barkley, but George State would be like, all right, we'll take McSorley and like your left tackle. That's always been the thing with George State. I like it. Their, their offensive lines have historically not been great. I remember when I when their first year. Of having a program instead of FCS at the time, walking around campus and like I'm a, I was a large gentleman in college, uh, and I remember walking by the entire offensive line group, and I probably had an inch or two in height and at least thirty pounds on all of them, and I'm like I was like six two three ten, like I wasn't like a monster, as far as like a college football lineman should be. Right. I was like, oh, boy, this isn't going to go well. And sure <laughs> enough, they're just getting mowed down the whole time. Um, which is why it doesn't make sense to me why they brought in Sean Elliott. But that's another thing. I thought they – in Atlanta, you can get speed in the two-star range. You're yeah. going to get guys that don't have the size. Like, Atlanta's got a ton of talent that isn't big enough to be a big-time college football player. And that's who Georgia State should be going after. My, I was advocating for them to go after somebody that was going to spread out and kind of run tempo and go the Arkansas State route, essentially, except do it in a hotbed of recruiting where you can get two stars that are 5'11", but can run a 4'4", and just send them free, but they got an offensive line coach, which means power football. Yeah, I mean, I'm... <laughs> it's not going to go great when your offensive line averages like 275, 280. This is the program, or one of the programs that Bob Stitch you can consider going to, in my opinion. Oh my God! Bring Stitt. Yeah, Stitt happens in Atlanta would be amazing. I, I am running running 120 plays a game. Yeah, average like yards per play is like two and a half, but those two and a half yards are always awesome. And then there's one just big hitter every drive. I mean, I I, I can talk myself into Bob Stitt getting any job in college football and it being fun as hell. But sending him to one of these. Especially a school like Georgia State where, like, the 80th or 90th best recruit in Georgia is analogous to a mid-level recruit in most other states just because there's so much talent down there. So let Stitt get down there, let him get that talent, all that. So, yeah, that's uh, I think that's it for Georgia State. And before we let Robbie go, we got two questions that we're getting for the mailbag portion of the podcast a little bit later. Uh, but we feel like Robbie is uniquely qualified to answer one of them, and the other one's just a fun one that we'll ask Robbie and Pat Vint uh, when we have him on. So first up, Robbie, 
What's the best position for Braun Strowman to play? And before we dive into this, for those of you who do not watch professional wrestling like Nick, Braun Strowman is this big old dude from North Carolina who was listed at 6'8", 385. And unlike a lot of people in WWE where they really fudge the height and the weight, I don't totally think that's too horrendously far off from how tall and beefy he probably is. So, no. yeah, where, where are you thinking on that? Because, I mean, my man can flip an ambulance with probably a little bit of help, but he can still flip an ambulance. Yeah, I mean, like, I think he, he, it's it's fairly obvious, but, I mean, that size, you have to go offensive tackle. He move, He's limber, you know, you see him move around the ring, he can, he can move. So I'd, I'd have to think left tackle with those long arms um, as long as he can keep that keep that butt down, keep that leverage right. Uh, that That's the only reason I wouldn't say, like, defensive end, it's hard to be a 6'8 defensive end of that size. Or even D-tackle. He's so tall, it's really hard for him to get low enough at that that position. Um, like, you see very rarely, you'll see, like, the Sean Oakmans or the, um, who's the kid from Arkansas a couple years ago? He's like 6'7". Um You'll see him on occasion, but I mean, there was I, like Eric Armstead from Oregon a year ago who was like yeah, six. Yeah, but like, and like, but like three eighty five is just so big. Like, you you gotta put him in offensive line. Just let him eat it as a tackle. Like, I'd be fine putting him at left tackle and just having him ISO against Pastor because he's quick. He's got good feet. Um, got those long arms. He's strong as hell. If you ever want kind of a, a fun way to kill some time, fire up YouTube and look up. Uh, Braun Strowman's workout video. Oh, those are insane. Biggie Biggie with C.T. Fletcher. First off, I can follow down the C.T. Fletcher YouTube video rabbit hole anytime. Yes. Uh, But the one with Braun Strowman, Biggie, I think Jinder Mahal. Yes, Jinder. It's a a lot of fun. Uh, Braun's, yeah, no, they're not fudging his... uh, Especially because Biggie is these Are these all Game of Thrones characters I don't know about? (laughs) Yes. Well, Biggie is a former powerlifter from the University of Iowa, and Braun is just there throwing steel with him. It is awesome. I, no. I think. I, I mean, Braun is the three-eyed Raven. Sure. Braun is—he's he, like a pit offensive lineman who he just mauls people, and then they use him in weird gadget plays where they hand him the ball, and just nobody can tackle him because he's deceptively fast and also larger than everyone. And I hate that I had to get. That's the fun way. That's the fun position to pick. Right. Oh, yeah. Or, I mean, or tight end. Or tight end. Yeah. yeah. No, fullbacks are obsolete. Don't you, don't you dare speak that. Not, in sir, not, him, not with him, it sounds sir, like. Sir, this is a Joe Moorhead offense. There is no such thing as a fullback in our lexicon. And Who said he was coming to Penn State? I, I mean, he's coming to Penn State. If he is playing college football, I will have no other way. Uh, yeah, Nick, what was the second question? Uh, I don't know. I thought that was the only one. Well, but, was, oh, oh no, yeah. uh, I got it. It was the the Michael Dunlap question. It's been going around on Twitter today. Um, you can change the outcome of one sporting event during your lifetime. Which one would you choose, and why? Um. Uh, two thousand three Fiesta Bowl. They don't call pass interference on Miami. Ooh. Ohio State doesn't win that. That still leads me. All right. So it is currently 8.06 p.m. We're having Vint on in about an hour. Nick, is he going to say 6-4? Um, wait, why would he want to change that? 
Just ask him if he wants that to be a more aesthetically pleasing football game in some way. I mean, I'll ask. I I like to think that we know all those guys well enough to know that they will want that to stay exactly the same. Right. But we will cross that bridge when we get to it. Robbie Callen, read him over on Uprock Sports while you're there. Uh, ignore the things that I write. That would be very kind of you. Talking about Georgia State, Robbie, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Nick. All right, be good. Thank you. And we will be back in a few minutes to uh, answer some mailbag questions. So, yeah, that will be probably very stupid. All right, we're back. Bill DeFilippo, Nick Pollock. Shout out to Robbie Callen for coming and talking Georgia State and professional wrestling for a second with us. Uh, in a few minutes, we're going to have Pat Vint from our sister site, Go Iowa Awesome. Hop onto the pod to break down the Iowa Hawkeyes. But before we get to that, let's talk mailbag questions. Nick has a few that he wants to play with. Nick, throw them out there and let's see what we got. Yes. First of all, thank you to all of you. You are very yeah, enthusiastic got, like, in responding with questions. We got so. good questions today. Like aside, we didn't get like the silly like is a hot dog a sandwich ones. Like we got actual substantive questions, which was very weird, but we do appreciate. Speaking of which, we have discussed that hot dog question before, and I finally saw the argument today that really pushed me to the side of not a sandwich, and it was that if you have a hot dog and you take away the bread, it's still a hot dog. So I I am now firmly in the it is not a sandwich camp. FYI. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so... Um, yeah, thank you for all the questions you guys sent in. Um, we're not going to have time to get all of them. We will save some for next week, so they will be answered. Just be sure to listen again next week. Um, we're going to try to do a good mix of silly and serious because you guys sent a lot of both. Um, so we're going to start with a question from DK Viper. Um, the pool commitment video is better than what recent movie releases? Ooh. Any thoughts? So this is where... I kind of reveal that I don't watch movies. Um, oh. Yeah, like, I, uh, I'm i not the kind of person who I like being off the grid for, like, two hours at a time. So the most recent movies that I have seen that have, like, stuck with me have been Mad Max and Kingsman, which it, that, that those are, like, 2016 and 15 releases. So I'm going to cede the floor to Nick on this one because I know he has seen a lot of movies recently. He has seen Moana a lot, but he is not going to hate on that. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I do watch a lot of movies. I very much enjoy movies. I like the experience of going to movie theaters. Um, I'll, I mean, the, the, I think the cool thing about going to movie theaters is that no matter how bad the movie is at the time, it always kind of seems cool when you're in the theater. So that's why I like going to movies. Um, but I, I can't really think of any bad movies I've seen lately. I didn't, I, I didn't love Suicide Squad. I mean, it was, Did anyone it was pretty love good. Suicide Squad? I, I, I could see, I could see how it could have been better, but it, it wasn't great. Uh, Whereas Ashim's Young pool commitment video, fantastic, oh, ten out of ten, ruled. Would watch again, have watched again, will watch again in the future. Um, so yeah, I, I honestly I haven't really seen any terrible movies lately, but um, that was just a good chance so, to talk about how awesome that video was. Real quick on Suicide Squad, the I actually watched somebody watch it, which sounds very weird, but it was on my red eye flight back after the Rose Bowl. Uh, when I went out there, I got 
my flight for 10 p.m. West Coast time, 10:20 p.m. West Coast time, and I could mm-hmm. not sleep. A, I could not sleep at all. So I just sat on my phone, like staring at the screen, counting down the minutes until I got to Charlotte, where my uh, connecting flight was out of, and the dude next to me was watching Suicide Squad. And after we landed, he like met up with a friend. Uh, and they just talked about how bad that movie was. So that is my entire experience with the film Suicide Squad. Also, Greg McElroy was on that flight. So should I tell my real quick Greg McElroy story? That is something only you can answer. Okay, so before the Rose Bowl, uh, this was after Lane Kiffin had announced he was leaving Alabama to go take uh, the FAU job and Steve Sarkeesian was taking over an offensive coordinator. I was out tailgating before the Rose Bowl. And Greg McElroy walks by me and I just go, hey, Greg. And he looks over at me like kind of scared that some, you know, jerk Penn State fan was going to start heckling him. And I then look at him and I go, what do you think about Lane Kiffin? And he just starts laughing before walking away because he knows he can't say anything without getting himself into a whole lot of trouble. Uh, If anyone at ESPN is listening to this and they have the power to punish Greg McElroy, don't do that. Uh, He was a good sport about the entire thing. Uh, but if no one from ESPN is listening to this, that is an that was an awesome, awesome moment. And shout out to Greg McElroy for uh, getting a laugh at the expense of Lane Kiffin. So the next question comes. The next two questions come from uh, Craig on our staff, Craig Fritz. Um, Bill, what's your favorite word? Um, I don't know. I mean, I've never thought of that. Um, See, I, I hadn't either. I thought about it all day, literally all day, and I, I kind of came up with three different categories. I found my favorite word to write down is vacuum because there's something really pleasing about writing words with double U's. Um, I, fig- I realized my favorite word to say is eclectic. It's very pleasing coming off the tongue. And I also added a bonus. I said my favorite phrase to say. So if you're saying the sentence, uh, um, yeah, well, I edited... Or somebody says, did you did you edit that piece? And you say back, oh, yeah, I edited it. Love saying that. Love it, love it, love it. Uh, for me, I will go with socialism and seize the means of production. Go, Nick. Next question. <laughs> next one. What sound or noise do you love? Also from Craig. So for me, I, I thought of two sounds for two different reasons. The first one is because it's just a fantastic sound. I really love the sound of a good fastball hitting the back of a catcher's mitt. Just when it pops, I love that noise. And then it's not my favorite sound, but it's a satisfying sound. When I turn on the garbage disposal in my sink, and then I can hear the disposal finished, and it's just the motor spinning around, that is very, very pleasing for me. Uh, It's weird, I know. No, I got you. First one was I drainoed my tub the other day, and after it got all cleared out, it made this noise like it was swallowing a big pill. And it just went like, ah, but in a tub way. And it was cool. Uh, and then also, uh, second is Prince's guitar solo in his version of While My Guitar Gently Weeps, in which he makes a guitar sound like it is actually weeping. Ah. Okay, next one, from <clears throat> next one from Rob. We had a lot of staff questions. Next one from Rob. Would you rather have to tackle Saquon Barkley or the other tackled one. The other by one. Joey Julius? The other one. I mean, for how much it probably hurts getting hit by... Big toe, uh, tackling Saquon Barkley would not only result in me embarrassing myself, but I would get injured, and my guess is my family would never be able to look me in the eyes again. So, 
I mean, it doesn't say it has to be a successful tackle. Oh, I know. Yeah, I yeah, I agree. I'd rather get tackled by Big Toe. That works. Uh, next question from Ryan Albert at RMA136 on Twitter. Realistically, how many scholarships are left to give? Seems like five, but I think we are taking more than that. Uh, Ryan, you're definitely right. And the good thing is this um, 2018 class seems like it could have at least four or five early enrollees. And when you have early enrollees, they technically count back to the previous class um, and so on and so on and so on. So it it's not... The, the number 25 isn't as important here. It's more the number 85 for the actual roster. And it looks like there's looks like there's going to be a pretty decent amount of turnover after the season. So um, it would be highly unlikely, highly unlikely to see this staff only take five more players in this class, unless for some reason all these guys that seem like Penn State leans just decide to go elsewhere. Yeah, go State. Yeah. So the next one is from uh, one of my neighbors, actually, from home up in New Jersey. And he asks us, stepbrothers or Talladega Nights? It's Talladega Nights, I think, pretty... For me, it's pretty clear. I mean, like, stepbrothers, I felt like it tried way too hard. Talladega Nights, like, I'm a big fan of the making fun of the absurdity of sports genre. Uh, Andy Samberg has a pair of mockumentaries on HBO, Seven Days in Hell and uh, Tour de Pharmacy, which are two of my the funniest things I've ever seen. Uh, I guess those can kind of count as movies that I've seen, neither here nor there. Like, I just find that genre very funny. And then again, like, with Step Brothers, like, I just thought it tried too hard at times. Like, don't get me wrong, it was funny, but the whole, like, I'm going to go put my nuts on your drum set, hook, hook, hook. Like, that wasn't, I was just like, okay, guys, like, we get it, you're both idiots. So, yeah. Interesting. So I, I typically I side with the Will Ferrell sports movies because I think they're all absolutely hysterical. I think Semi Pro is easily one of the most underrated Will Ferrell movies. It makes me laugh. I could watch that movie a thousand times over and over again. But the more I think about, it, I think Step Brothers is the one I actually quote more. I think that's the one that's kind of more prevalent in my life. So I don't know. It's close. It I if I was just gonna sit down right now and pick one to watch it would probably be talladega nights but there's also some recency bias there since i haven't seen it in a while but they're both excellent movies we should all cherish both of them next question from our good friend, friend of the site sam watson at food s-c-i-s-a-m food size sam uh do you cry when you rewatch the ohio state game so i actually found myself going down a rabbit hole of rewatching 2016 highlights earlier today and i watched the marcus allen blocked kick a bunch of times you know as as one would normally do when they come across it and i gotta say when i watch that and grant haley gets in the end zone and you hear and grant haley will score i there's a tear there's a tear that comes out uh i i don't really cry when i watch it i just get this overwhelming uh sense of happiness a bit just based on the fact that it's like such a cool moment and like just what it meant for the program i don't find myself crying mostly because like i just didn't find myself crying when the game happened because i was just so emotionally like stunned that i couldn't be brought to tears but yeah i mean I, yeah, I, it's awesome. I probably come closer to tears during the Big Ten title game just because that is like the perfect game for what that Penn State team was last year. And that's just, it's 
so much fun to go back and watch. It's so cool to watch these big moments and so cool to watch, again, Grant Haley and Marcus Allen team up to make the big play. But, yeah, I, I mean, the, the last sporting event that made me cry uh, was probably in 2005 when I was in high school and USC beat Notre Dame because I was going through a dark period in my life. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think part of the reason I do cry, oh, well, a tear comes out when I rewatch Ohio State and not when I watch the Big Ten Championship is because I was there not, and not at the Big Ten Championship. Well, like I remember when it when the play happened, I was happily surrender Cobrain because I literally, I couldn't believe what was happening in front of me when Haley was returning that. Well, I, after I was jumping up and down for however long, but yeah, I'd I'd say a tear comes out. Uh, I kind of I, I I'll sometimes get a little teary teary eyed when I watch like hype videos for Penn State and stuff like that. So I'd say it happens more frequently there than nestance the game sometimes but uh next question quick one from sarah sivian friend of the site can you invite doug on the podcast to to discuss hockey no because this is not a hockey podcast but we do have a hockey podcast and it's fantastic it's with myself and doug and sometimes special guests and sometimes bill even and you should definitely listen to that when the hockey season rolls around uh next one from my freshman roommate in college at penn state uh dan glance on twitter at glance in your pants which is a fantastic name he's a teacher um he's asked the best song from moana and why is it you're welcome so bill if you don't remember i played you a little excerpt of you're welcome the last time we were together that's the one that the rock sings and i agree you're welcome is a fantastic song bill i'm assuming you have not watched moana yet uh no i have not uh so i will just say <sighs> i'll just say let it go oh, oh i knew God. that would make you mad yeah. Oh, right. Let's talk about God. Let's talk about something else because I don't know what we're doing right uh, now. <laughs> okay. Um, last one, and then we are both going to answer the. You could change the outcome of one sporting event, but we'll save and we'll do that when we're talking with uh, Patrick Vent. Um, so the last one I have here, we'll save the rest for next time. I'm sorry if we didn't get to yours today, but we will get to it. Next one from our good friend Speedo Mike. How many times does Penn State score 50 points this year? This is a really yeah, interesting question. So let's I actually, I actually need way. to pull up the schedule. Yeah. Here, Nick, don't pull it up. I will just go down game by game. Okay. Okay. Akron, yes. Yes. Pitt, yes. Mm. We have been over this. We have been over what is going to happen in that game. I am far more skeptical than seemingly everybody else that I write with. Oh no, that's fine. perfectly fine to be skeptical. I'm just saying you're going to be wrong. Fine. Georgia State. I will say this. Though. Oh, I don't ahead. think they score. I don't think they score fifty points in three straight games to start the year. Ooh, okay. What? So you think? So they, I'll say two of those three. So you think they do something like, uh, you know, like they pull the starters at halftime against Akron or Georgia State when they're up like thirty-five to nothing or something? Sure, maybe. Okay. But okay. I don't think they score. I don't think it's a lack of trying that they don't score fifty in the first three games. But I don't think they will. That's fair. I, I will say that's some that's some Kevin Wilson Oklahoma stuff. I think they do it. I, I, I believe in Jomo. Um, next up at Iowa, I don't think they do it there. No, Kinnick no, is, no, no. Kinnick is just like they. I think they're going to win that game a little, a little more comfortably than Penn State should. It'll be similar to the Bill O'Brien win in 2012. But yeah, I, don't I was going to say that's what I, I think. Yeah. They'll be like that Bill O'Brien yeah. win. Uh, Indiana, I'll say no, just because I think Tom Allen's going to have him playing some pretty good defense. 
Yeah, I'm no. Not no they're not scoring fifty on a defense with scales on it. Right. Yeah, scales is yeah, he is the closest thing to an omnipresent awesome. linebacker. Like he is awesome. Uh Northwestern, no. They're not scoring fifty nope. in a central time neuter. Uh, neither team is scoring more than twenty four points in that game. Okay, we're Book gonna it. we're we're gonna bet on that uh when we do our Northwestern preview next week. Uh next up, Michigan, no. Oh boy, that would be fun though. Oh, that would be that would be awesome. Harbaugh would pee his pants so much; it would be great. Ohio State, no, no. At Michigan State, I don't think they do. I think they win it comfortably, but I think Michigan State is just too proud to like give up fifty at home, even if that program is uh in shambles right now. I. And another reason I don't think I don't think they would keep their foot on the gas pedal that long. They kind of got revenge for the Jack Allen touchdown run last year when they kept throwing deep at the end of the game. So I I would be really really surprised if it went up to fifty. Yeah, yeah. I mean something like like if that game ends like thirty five to ten. I think that's probably about right. Uh, sure. Rutgers, yes. <laughs> I hope so. Again, we I, I think it's not a surprise that you and I both think Chris Ash is a better football coach than he will be able to show at Rutgers. Uh, but no. Yes. No, no. no. Uh, Nebraska, I'm going to say no. No. Uh, just because, yeah, like I can't see them allowing 50 points against uh, Bob Diaco, scoring 50 points against a Bob Diaco defense, which I bet you forgot about until right now. No, I actually remembered that. I feel like it's come up in every podcast I've listened to in the last month. <laughs> like every episode I hear his name. Sure. And then Maryland, I guess is no. I mean Maryland is for how no, it's going to be a weird game. Yeah. That that's going that I think that game is probably more likely to be the ugly game that you expect the Northwestern game to be. You know, it's at their place. Maryland, like Durkin's a really good defensive coach. He has some data talent on that defense uh they're going to play some type of spoiler i'm not sure what type of spoiler but uh they they could very well be that could be the game that stands between penn state and making a what are the it, it we'll just say the big bowl games this year the fiesta bowl and the rose bowl this could be the one that keeps Penn out of, out of like the cotton bowl or the orange bowl or something like that. So I think Maryland comes to play. I think that's a really weird, potentially pretty ugly game, but I think Penn State ends up winning that one. Yeah, probably. Yeah. But we will discuss that stuff in a later episode of the podcast. We are going to uh, try and find a Maryland fan who uh, doesn't hate us. So we will work very hard on that, even though we think we have some stuff in mind. And that's it for the mailbag portion. Next up, we are going to be talking to Pat Vint of Go Iowa Awesome. Thank you again for your questions, and we will be right back. All right, we're back. Part three of this podcast. Uh, first part, we had Robbie Callendall to talk about Georgia State. Second part, we took some mailbag questions. Now the third part, uh, Nick Pollock and I, Bill DeFilippo, decided to go out and recruit one of our buddies uh, just because his school doesn't do too much recruiting, so we wanted him to know what it feels like. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Pat Vint is here to talk about the Iowa Hawkeyes. Pat, what's going on? Did I ever tell you about the time that Hayden Fry tried to recruit me when I was 31 years old? I think you have, but just... Uh, <laughs> that's, I, that's I actually... Oh, wait, no, I have heard the story. I have heard the story, but please tell it. 
Okay, so I was at a um, I was at the Orleans in Vegas for March Madness in it about 2011-ish, and my dad, who would out, go out there about every third or fourth year, had told me that he had seen Hayden Fry the last time he went to the Orleans. So I was kind of on Hayden Fry watch to begin with, and I was standing at a craft table, and here comes Hayden Fry walking down the aisle in like a, an amazing Hawaiian shirt, and um, I say, "Hey, coach," and he kind of looks startled, like. I'm a former player or something. And you have to know I'm, I'm like six, seven, 270 pounds. So I'm like, I'm football player size. You know, I never really played. Um, and so Hayden comes over, talks to me for a while. We talk about the eighties and nineties, Iowa football for like 10, 15 minutes. Asking about what his health is. We <laughs> go back and forth on that. And then I mentioned that I had one guy at my little tiny high school who walked on at Iowa and, and his red shirt senior year was a starting defensive end. And his claim to fame was that, during a kick return in the Alamo Bowl, Tim Dwight broke it down the sideline, had no one to beat except for his own man. And the guy from my hometown turned around at that point, ran into Tim Dwight, knocked him out of bounds, <laughs> and stopped the touchdown kick return. Um, so I said, hey, there's a guy from my school that played for you at the end of your career at Iowa. And he gave the guy's name, which was amazing since it was a walk-on from 20 years ago. That's cool. Uh, and, and he goes, I didn't get out to recruit your side of the state very much. But, uh, hell, I should have been out there more often. You could have played for me. <laughs> and, and I said, first off, that's like the nicest thing he's ever said to me and a, like a massive indictment of his recruiting at the end of his career. Um, <laughs> I, I, I mentioned I was 165 pounds in high school. And he chuckled and he goes, yeah, I like beer too. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then he left. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, that was my run with Hayden. It was great. Oh man! Uh, so I, I was going to uh, start the Iowa portion of the podcast by asking Nick uh, to fawn over CJ Beathard, but I really don't know how we're going to be able to one up like starting it with that story. So Nick, I am going to ask you you to just ask Pat the question that we had uh, planned on eventually doing before all this happened. Pat completely derailed the podcast, and I blame him. What I do? You you you, you you did a very good thing. <laughs> I'm confused. Which which questions am I asking? You're asking the uh, first question we ask, which is a general preview of the team. Okay, I didn't know if you were asking that or you were asking me to ask those Twitter questions. Ladies okay. and gentlemen, this is uh, uh, this is what we like to call breaking the fourth wall. This is what we <laughs> like to call Bill being very unclear. Okay, so, so Iowa. What do we need to know about Iowa? Um. I, I think I in 2017 that is yes I think well the state's an amazing place uh, no <laughs> I I think that I was an interesting team this year for a couple of reasons one you can tell when a Kirk Ferentz team is going to be good based on three things returning starts at offensive line returning starts at linebacker and whether they have any semblance of a running back to hand the ball to. So they return the entirety of their offensive line from essentially the last two years. Um, and they won the Joe Moore award with it last year, even though it was kind of, everybody kind of went really because they couldn't protect Beathard all year. Um, they still won best offensive line and the whole, the whole platoon is back. Um, they return all three starting linebackers, including Josie Jewell, who's all everything big 10 um, and seems to be on a, on a mission from what he's been saying it, the few times he's talked this off season. 
Um, and they've got Akram Wadley and now a graduate transfer for 1300 yards at Nevada last year in the backfield. So um, most people look at Iowa and they say that there's no receivers and they're right, that there's going to be a first time quarterback and they're right, that there's problems in the secondary and they're right about that too. Um, and they kind of look at it and they got a six or seven win team. But the things that are usually important for Iowa to win with Kirk at the helm are the things that are there this year. And usually that means eight plus. If they can really put the offense together, that becomes a double digit win team. But I, I, I get a sense they're going to be better than people think. Do you think that's enough to. Is, are all those things enough? Should Penn State fans be afraid of going into Kinnick this year? Uh, well, obviously, based on last year's performance, the answer would be no. Um, and, and I think Penn State's exactly the wrong. Penn State's offense is exactly the wrong thing that Iowa wants to see because they don't really, I mean, they don't turn the ball over that much. They've got a really good running game that's hard to stop. Iowa thrives on teams that that either get impatient and throw the ball too much or can't move the ball on the ground and have to throw and become one-dimensional. You're never going to have that with, with Penn State's offense. So should Penn State be nervous? It's early in the year. That's usually not a great sign for Iowa, although this team's relatively experienced. And Penn State's obviously got some serious weapons on the offensive side of the ball and a pretty good defense coming back. They're obviously going to be a favorite in the game. They're obviously a, a far higher up in the Big Ten pecking order than Iowa is at this point. It's a road game, so yeah, there's probably a little bit of nervousness, and I, I highly doubt it's going to be 41-14. to 14. But Iowa hasn't played Penn State very well since Paterno left, and, and I think history is probably on Penn State's side. Yeah. You mentioned last... Uh, Sorry, you, I'm going to go off script here. I just thought of another question. You ahead. mentioned last year's game and something that Penn State fans um, have been fawning over since it happened was the end towards the end of the Iowa game last year when Tommy Stevens back the quarterback took the handoff and bowled over a few defenders on his way into the end zone. Was that as demoralizing for Iowa fans as it was hilariously amazing for Penn State fans? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, for for the few that were still watching at that point, yeah, sure. <laughs> like, um, uh, that whole game, I had blood spurting out of my eye, so I don't remember particular plays that well. Um, <laughs> but I, yeah, look, it, it's very rare that you see you, you see Iowa get beat every once in a while. You see Iowa get stomped occasionally. You rarely see an Iowa team just basically throw in the towel with an entire quarter left, and that's what you saw, which was about as sad as it gets. You don't, it hasn't happened in at least, well, I guess it's been a year and a half since the Tennessee game and the, the bowl game, but um, uh, it doesn't happen that often. And so, yes, it was demoralizing. And, and then everybody forgot it when they beat Michigan the next week. Yes. Uh, by the <laughs> thank way, you for, th- yeah, I was going to say thank you for that. I okay. was, no problem guys. My, my friends and I were actually at a concert that night and I thought that like I was reading something wrong on my phone and like I was a little bit too close to the speakers and it was jumbling some stuff up in my brain. So uh, I'm we're, I, I'm very appreciative of that. And I think all Penn Staters are. Uh, but I don't think I've ever run to a TV faster than when I pulled up the ESPN app and saw the box score of what was happening. But but let's just for one second, let's talk about those two games. Like, is that kind of just like Iowa football in a nutshell, when it is going up against a team that does things differently, 
teams that are trying to spread you out, trying to play fast, trying to go for big plays. Like I would, like it just struggles in those games, and those are games that under Ferentz, they're like they just have a hard time winning because they have a hard time adjusting to that. But compared to you know a week later, a Michigan team, they want to play man ball, they want to run the ball, they want to be physical, control the clock, do all that stuff. Like that's Kirk Ferentz's bread and butter. That's the kind of thing that. Like he was put on this earth to stop. Like, do you think that's a? <laughs> do you think that's an accurate like representation uh, of Iowa football and why? Um, while the, it, Iowa certainly has the potential to be good, one, it's always going to look good in the Big Ten West because that's all anyone does, and two, it kind of puts something of a ceiling on how good of a team it can be. Well, I think you're. I think you're right to a certain extent. You're leaving out one thing that Penn State had that some other teams don't. So, oh, I yes, was uh, basic philosophy. I, I didn't know you yeah. thought of Jason Cabinda so highly. My goodness, <laughs> that play where he jumped over the line and he just like the, yeah thumped C.J. Beathard while he was trying to sneak. I he just watched, like punched him in the face. He did like yeah. Matt Matt Millen. So for like. Matt Millen, it, for the flaws that he has as a commenter, the one thing that he does well is when so- someone makes an awesome defensive play, you could tell he's really appreciative of that. When Kabinda <laughs> made that play, he just started laughing. It was awesome. I, I, would, have, I would go more with aroused and appreciative, but yes, you're probably right. <laughs> I look, I, I, here's here's my, my point here on this. So Iowa's philosophy defensively is keep everything in front of you make them grind out drives. And if they're going to beat you with big plays, they've got to execute flawlessly. There's a reason why Iowa owned Nebraska in the Tommy Armstrong era, because they were impatient. They'd throw the ball deep, but they didn't have anybody open. And I would pick them off. Like they, they could not get a drive going to save their lives against Iowa for, for basically three and a half years. The only exception being the second half of the game three years ago in 2014, when Iowa's, Iowa went in the shell and just imploded. But otherwise, they, they loved playing Tommy Armstrong because Tommy Armstrong would do dumb things. If you're capable of making big plays and and not screwing up, that's that's disaster for Iowa, right? And that's exactly what Penn State was last year. Right? On offense, you guys could, could run, you could throw, you could throw deep. You had a guy who was like, freaking Neo out there, a quarterback who could just kind of run around and, and make tackle, tacklers miss and find an open man downfield. The if, wizard! If, wait, if wait, can, wait, can, wait, 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 wait. Did you just call Trace McSorley Neo? Neo, yeah, oh that's right. Oh my god, I did we are stealing that. So, I look, I, I think that's why Penn State is really difficult for Iowa last year. The Bill O'Brien year was, was just a terrible team. The 2012 team just really wasn't very good. So, if you look at a team like Michigan that, yes, is going to run basically Iowa's offense at Iowa, they can handle that without a problem. And they always play that team well, except for you know Stanford when, again, you've got a guy who just kind of does things that no one else can do. Um, if, you can, if you can make big plays with and you can keep the running game going against Iowa's front seven, then you've got a pretty good chance of beating Iowa. The, the the issue comes when you have impatience at quarterback or impatience in your play calling and you try to go deep against them. That's when they usually eat your lunch. So it works great in the Big Ten West where there's very rarely a quarterback who does what Trace McSorley or Braxton Miller does, right? It's, it's It doesn't work so well when you run up against those guys, though. Right. 
And that's again, yeah, you're right. That's why there's a bit of a ceiling on what Iowa can do because Iowa's not going to have that guy in most years, pretty much any year. And Iowa doesn't really have a response to the, that guy when he's there. Interesting. So let's, uh, let's bring it back to this year's game. Uh, Penn State has to go to Kinnick. Always, uh, always a tough trip just because that's always – it. Like, Iowa fans just bring it for that game. It's a tough game. It's a hostile environment. And Iowa's knocked off some pretty good teams there. So what does Iowa have to do to win this game? They've got a – well, it's hard to know at this point because I don't know what the offense is going to be like. My my assumption is that you're going to see something that looks a lot like the Bill O'Brien Penn State offense at Iowa. Um, especially because – Ference is now Brian Ferentz is now running the show and essentially has said he's going to run something close to that offense because that was the offense he learned in New England um, with a little bit of a West Coast you know spin on it but otherwise essentially what you saw there um, and so I don't know if they're going to be that great offensively but when you've got Akron Wadley in the backfield you can't be too bad if if Penn State's able to to break big plays like they did last year that's ball game. If, if Penn State's forced to grind out 10, 15 play drives and play into Iowa's hands by doing that, then they're not going to get too far ahead on the scoreboard. And you can have something like the Michigan game happen where Iowa is able to, you know, grab a safety, kick a field goal, throw a couple touchdowns on the board, and before you know it, 20 points is, or 19 points is enough to do it. Um, but I have a hard time believing that if, if Penn State gets over, say, 28 that Iowa wins that game. And 21 might even be enough to do it, frankly. But I, I think if they get 28 to 30, um, then Iowa's got problems. And and that comes down to, can Iowa's front seven stop Barkley? And can Iowa's secondary, which is going to be very young, hold up against what McSorley's going to throw at them? Yeah, I, I mean, I think this is the kind of game where if Penn State doesn't... Oh, cool, someone's getting arrested outside of my house. That's cool. Uh, if... Thanks. If Penn State doesn't score, like, early, like, if Penn State isn't able to put anything more than, like, three points on the board in the first quarter, I think it can get hairy pretty quick. I mean, I like we said, I, it's a tough place to go to, and I feel like... I, I feel like it's one of those games where if I was still in it, you know, midway through the first quarter, halftime... Suddenly the stadium gets a little bit louder. The team starts playing with a little more swagger. Uh, we don't know if this is a night game yet. And, you know, obviously everything becomes a little more terrifying during a night game. But yep. it has the potential to, I, I, I don't want to say, like, get off the rails or anything like that. But Penn State fans could be kind of nervous going into uh, the fourth quarter if it's like a 17-13 game or something. Uh, Nick, I want to go to you. Like, what does Penn State need to do uh, to win this one? Uh, well, Pat kind of said it, but I think for Penn State to win this game, they just need to do the things that they were doing well last year, which is run the ball and hit on big plays. Uh, like both of you guys have mentioned, when you try to play Iowa's game in Iowa's house, it typically doesn't go all that well for you, which is what we saw last year when they beat Michigan. When you just try to man ball Iowa... It doesn't, I mean, maybe you can do it away from Kinnick, but when you try to do it to him in Kinnick, it typically doesn't work all that well, even when they're not the best team. Uh, so I think Penn State just has to continue being that 
just complete polar opposite of what Iowa typically is, at least. Uh, like Pat said, it could be the offense could look a thousand percent different this year. When that's yet to be seen, but it, I, I think for Penn State to win this game, they just need to, I mean, just stay who they are. Just let Joe Moorhead do his thing, and that should really take care of itself from there. Interesting. And Pat, just over to you. Like even, like even if you don't know, like Penn State's backup defensive tackle or whatever like just based on what Iowa football is and always has been what does Penn State need to do to win this game stop the run I mean defensively you have to stop the run against Iowa because there's going to be very little chance for them to throw the ball right so if you can get eight or nine in the box and not give up anything deep to Iowa's tight ends which are Iowa's tight ends are a little scary this year they've got some pretty good athletes playing out there and they're going to break them out wide when they can um but if you can stop Wally and and stop Butler, then you got a pretty good chance at at shutting down Iowa pretty much completely. Yeah, I I mean one thing that I think Iowa, and I'm as I say this, you might hear a noise in the background because my foot's going to start like shaking. One thing <laughs> Iowa could do to like kind of catch Penn State off guard is to just watch what Pitt was able to do to Penn State last year. I mean, Pitt had, they didn't have the best skill guys. I mean, Pitt Pitt was just really good at getting them, against Penn State in all year, getting them into positions where their big old offensive line was able to make life a little bit easier on them. And we saw Pitt do that. They did that with uh, their handful of guys in the running game. And uh, Quadri Henderson is the receiver, right, Nick? Uh, yes. Yeah, I thought I, I, I had it between him and Quadri Olson, and I knew Olson was the running back, so I figured. But yeah, Henderson. So what, yeah. What they were doing with Henderson, they were just getting him the ball while he was already moving, and the offensive line was able to clear out some space. Like that's really it. And I don't think, even for the attention that Wadley is getting as the He's a guy that not enough people are paying attention to player, which, you know, there's always one or two of those uh, in the Big Ten. I still don't think people appreciate how much fun Akram Wadley is. It might just be because uh, Iowa isn't exactly uh, – like he's just something of a bit of fresh air. But when he gets the ball and he gets the ball in space, he's just able to make stuff happen. He is awesome. Yeah. And I think that this could be the kind of game where the first three games or so, two or three games, whatever Iowa has, they kind of play the cards close to the chest with Wadwe, you know, just do some very basic stuff with him. And this is the game where they start using him in a couple of fun different ways. If that happens, like, I think this has the potential to get a little bit silly. Uh, But I'm going to end up saying that Penn State wins this game going away. Uh... Because, you know, I'm a Penn Stater and I am not allowed to uh, be nice to Iowa. Yeah, that's it. Uh, Nick. I do, I, I do have to mention real quick, I as much as I love Wadley, I am a little, I'm still a little bitter towards him for ruining what was a beautiful, beautiful 7-7 football game between Iowa and Rutgers last year. <laughs> it was just... Uh... Everything you, beautiful about the world, all wrapped was, into one. Yeah, 
It was like it was like Rutgers was once again playing the first football game ever played. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and on that note, uh, we have a couple of fun questions here that uh, you know we lobbed them up to Robbie, and we're going to lob them up to Vint as well. First things first, Vint, what's the best position for Braun Strowman to play? What's the best position for Braun Strowman to play? Yes, kicker. Um, no, um, <laughs> look. The guy, the guy can turn over a, a host or an ambulance. I think he's got to be playing defensive tackle, right? Like, okay, yeah. He's he's a, a total space eater that takes up three blocks and opens up the rest of your your defensive line to annihilate the quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I I went with like a fun and silly offensive <laughs> lineman who <Fun> gets. End. <laughs> Yeah, who gets used in a bunch of weird ways, but as a 6'8", 385 defensive tackle, he'd be like the third biggest dude at Alabama, so that would be right. uh, yeah. that'd be awesome. Uh, Nick, what was the other question? So the other one is the question that's been floating around on Twitter today from Michael Dunlap. Uh, you can change the outcome of one sporting event during your lifetime. Which one would you choose and why? And Bill and I are actually going to answer this as well because we have not answered it yet. But just, Pat, you get to go first. I know what you guys are going to say. No, no, no. Just first things first, Pat, I want to know. I, I, I don't you, think you do, friend. <laughs> Pat, would you, would you want to know what it's like to be on the other side of 6-4? Just, ju- just in a hypothetical, be, in a hypothetical situation. That would situation. be kind of amazing. I mean, that would be, that would, yeah, I mean, I guess I could see that. <laughs> I actually answered this on Twitter, so I'm not going to go away from my answer, even though you've given me a potential better answer with that. Um, 2002 was the first great Kirk Ferentz Iowa team with a Heisman Trophy runner-up, Brad Banks, a quarterback. Iowa blew a 24-7 to halftime lead against Iowa State, I believe, in a 38-27 to loss. And that was their only loss of the regular season. And I believe the consensus was that had Iowa won that game and gone undefeated, that they probably would have jumped Ohio State and played Miami for a national championship. So I'm going to go with that. Hmm. The other obvious pick would be Iowa-Michigan State in the Big Ten championship game a couple years ago. But that only gets you a date with Alabama where you're going to get murdered. So yeah. like, I'd just as soon beat Iowa State instead. Yeah, that's, um, that's when yeah. like Penn State fans are saying, like, I want to beat Pitt last year because if Penn State beats Pitt, then they get to go to the college football playoff. I'm like, do you really think – for how much – how good Penn State was last year, do you really think they were going to end up beating Alabama or Clemson? Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, Nick, what do you like, say? Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. My I say, look, I, I think – be careful what you wish for on some of those things. Like – I was at that game. I couldn't sit in my seat at that, that Iowa-Michigan State game in Indianapolis. It was the most nerve-wracking experience as a fan. And, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. But, like, if Iowa wins that game and goes to the playoff, we saw what happened in Michigan State. Iowa was just doing the same things Michigan State was doing. There wasn't a whole lot that was going to change about what happened in that game. And did I really want to get myself really, really excited about, um, about a playoff game only to lose by 1,000 points? Um, I'll, I'll take my chances against yeah. 2002 Miami instead. Very good. Nick, what are you saying? So so kind of going off something Pat just said about that Michigan State game, I was actually, as a result of this question on Twitter, I was talking with 
um, I used to write for the Seahawks site on SB Nation as well, and I was talking with one of the guys I used to write with because he was saying, well, as a Seahawks fan, the obvious choice or the obvious first choice is probably the um, the interception against the Patriots the the end of the Super Bowl. But we got into a conversation of saying, yeah, I mean, that sucked, but it was also an incredible, incredible football game. And I was, I, I kind of was talking on my side about one of the things that I like about sports and one of the things that I think makes sports fun is knowing that our teams are not invincible. Like it's no fun going into a game saying, Oh yeah, I know my team's a hundred percent going to win. There's no possible chance of anything else happening. Cause then that takes the drama out of it. It's not, it's, it's already a foregone conclusion. It's not fun anymore. So I think being, being a part of, big really great games that end in losses is good like i wouldn't trade that super Bowl. i did i wish the seahawks won two straight super bowls absolutely but it was an incredible game and i don't think i would change it just like for penn state fans the recency the obvious choice there would be the rose bowl and wishing that nick sorley didn't toss that pick or if it god when i caught it instead whatever you want to whatever you want to call it if basically it turns out penn state winning the game yeah that'd be great but it was still an incredible football game. Like I'm, I'm still gonna remember that game forever because there were so many amazing things that happened in it. And sure, they didn't win, but it was still awesome to be a part of. So, since I haven't been a Penn State fan forever, I don't really have like changing the outcome of one of the games during the 2010, 11, or 12 season, or 13 or 14 for that matter. It doesn't really do anything in the grand scheme, so it doesn't really make much sense to go back and change anything there. Um, I've got a Seahawks Super Bowl. That's great. I would consider going back during the 2001 Mariner season and changing that freaking loss to the Indians, the comeback one, just so Matt wouldn't have ammo to make fun of me and because then the Mariners would hold the record for wins all by themselves. But the one that comes to mind right away for me, and it's a little silly, but I wish that Rob Bolden had not been hit so hard that he was concussed against Minnesota during his freshman year because he was starting to play really well at that point, or at least above average. And I was, I would be really curious to see how his career would have ended up if he hadn't gotten concussed and like forgotten how to play football. Shut up, Nick. It's the Rose bowl. (laughs) Shut up, Fowler. They're going to the Rose bowl. Shut up, Fowler. (laughs) Oh man. We, we need to have him on the pod. When, so in, in the coming weeks, let me pull up Penn State's uh, schedule right here for a second. So next week's episode of the podcast is going to be Indiana and Northwestern. Uh, we have people in mind for that. This is going to be a really silly episode of the pod. But then after, it's going to be Michigan, who I think Michigan might fall under the same category uh, as our pit preview, where we uh, purposely don't have anyone on because we just don't want to talk to any Michigan fans. And then for Ohio State, like, I, I think we need to have our dude on the podcast. Like, I'm, I, I'm I not... think he only I think he only does live video. I don't think he only he his face. There needs to be a face attached to the voice. We I, I mean, I have no issue with making an exception for that edition of the pod. We can also have, like, my logic heading into that one has been that if we get an Ohio State fan, they're going to be a really good Ohio State analyst and a really good Michigan analyst because no matter how much Ohio State and Michigan hate each other, like, they also want the other team to go into that game with an undefeated record just so it able, like they can validate themselves based on how the other team is. So 
we will approach that bridge when we get to it. But for now, uh, Pat Vint, go Iowa awesome. If you aren't reading that site, I don't know what you're doing. Thank Wait, you. Bill, did you say what? what you would change? Yeah, I said the Rose Bowl. Oh, I thought you were just disagreeing. Okay. No, it's the, it's the Rose Bowl, Nick. It is the Rose Bowl. I, wow. Part, part I'm surprised because, by you, too. No, maybe not. Maybe not Nick, because Nick said he's only been around since 2010. Well, the, the, but Bill, no, the, no, I mean, I've actually only been around since 2010. Period. Well, oh, yeah, okay. I, I mean, Nick and I, <laughs> Nick and I are both seven years old. Like we're, it's incredible. But no, like I, I'm the same way as Nick. Like as I mentioned, I think earlier in the pod, like I grew up a Notre Dame fan. Like my cousin played for them, so I just never really cheered for Penn State. I actually remember and really quickly off topic like the 2007 Penn State Notre Dame game where Jimmy Clausen started and walked into Happy Valley and uh, if you have children I'm giving you a second to plug their ears because like there's literally only one phrase to describe what happened uh, Penn State kicked the shit out of Notre Dame like that game was probably the loss growing up other than the bush push game that hurt me the most so uh like yeah like i didn't like penn state until i got here either just kind of like nick so i actually for the for the record i'm happy six four happened yeah i mean same here but i have never and nick is going to say the same thing as me i've never actually seen six four because it lives nowhere on the internet (laughs) that would shall not be named yeah um yeah no that game was amazing it just <laughs> it, it is it is the the most beautiful like ugly thing I've ever seen in my life. It's it's just it's gorgeous. Um, on, on the list of things that I, list of things I love, it's my wife, my children, my dog, and six four. <laughs> yeah, there's a uh, there's a 17 minute version of it on uh, on YouTube, and one night I was. That's all you need. Yeah, I was about I was about to go hang out with uh, Matt Brown from Sports on Earth, and I told him I was going to watch that game before we went. Like I went to do whatever he and I were going to be doing that night, and he got excited. So uh, <laughs> I still have to watch it. That Nick and I will make content about that or something. But yeah, uh, speaking of content, go read Go Iowa Awesome and Pat. Uh, thank you very much for coming onto the pod. We really appreciate it. Hey, happy to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. For sure. Uh, sh- shout out to Robbie Calland. Uh, again, Uprock Sports are the Internet's foremost expert on Georgia State football. And shout out to all of you, uh, both for providing us questions for our mailbag and for listening. Keep listening. Subscribe oh, to us on the way. million uh, platforms that we're on. Nick, I thought you were going to be singing Despacito. I decided to sing something different. Okay. Te Okay, yeah, uh, subscribe to us on our various like, podcasting uh, platforms. I'd read them all, but whatever. And I want to thank you because he's singing right now. Uh, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, keep reading the site, buy some shirts because the shirts are awesome. And yeah, thank you very, very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. For my co-host, Nick Polak, I am Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Despacito. <laughs>